Let me introduce myself. I'm Jason Hubner. I lead Christian Challenge, the ministry to students up at Vimporia State. And I am picking up where John, Sapp, and Jordan have left off working through Ephesians. And so we'll be in Ephesians 2 this morning. This morning's text reminds me of a funny church moment from our family. Uh, Samuel, our son, who is adopted from China, that plays in just a moment here. Samuel was sitting kind of like he is now uh, in church next to us, and he was drawing pictures with markers and just being a good church kid. And Al was uh, preaching through a text that involved Jews and Gentiles. And so Al is uh, working through the text, and he, uh, here's what Al says. I, he said, I think all of us in this room are Gentiles. I don't think there are any Jews here today. And at that moment of pause in the silence, Samuel, who had been coloring on his paper, just didn't miss a beat, and he pops off, I'm not. And Al heard him, I think the first six rows of the church, heard uh, my son Samuel say, nope, I am not Jewish. And I don't know, I can't remember, this is a couple of years ago, I don't remember if Al, if he, I know he heard it, but I don't know if he kind of missed a beat and kind of making that little, uh, little connection with Samuel. Uh, isn't it great that today uh, there's a joy and a hope in salvation that's available to all of us, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, young or old. That is a part of the heart of our text this morning. Um, this morning the text highlights the idea of hope. And I wanted to give you a, di a definition of hope. Here's what uh, the dictionary definition of hope that I found it says, hope is to cherish a desire with expectation. This morning our text, I think, says that the only way for us to have a joyful expectation for the future that is secure is in Jesus. And this morning's scripture teaches us these ideas, that hope, the only hope for the world, the only hope that we have for rescue is offered by Jesus. Without Jesus, our lives are hopeless. And with Jesus, the hope of salvation is available to all people. So this morning we'll work through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and then I'll come back and we'll look a little bit closer at verses 12 and 13. And this has been our tradition since John Sapp has been our interim, so I'll carry on our tradition. Why don't I, let's stand out of honor of God's word. I'll read the text. I've read it a lot this week. Maybe you haven't, so I'll read the text. It's on our screen. You can follow along with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 say this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, so, Paul, 
writing to this church in Ephesus, addressing these new Christians, reminds them and reminds us through the miracle of God's word that without Jesus in our lives, we are hopeless. Now, I want to begin by looking at hopelessness in Ephesus. This is this place that, uh, that Paul is writing to. In Ephesus, Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, the, the you that Paul is, is using here, he's referencing the, this early church of, of Christians that Paul had, had shared the gospel with. They decided to follow Jesus, and he says to them, Remember, you who were Gentiles, not Jewish, unaware of God's promises, were hopeless without God, hopeless when I found you. And here's why I think that is significant. Um, from everyone else's perspective, the Ephesians would not have been a, a group of people that you would recognize as hopeless. They had every reason for hope based on their own greatness and reputation. Let me tell you a little bit about the city of Ephesus in the first century. Most people would have thought that the citizens of Ephesus were, were in a good position. Ephesus was home to a, a massive temple to the Greek god Artemis. And it was such a, a large temple that you've heard of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. Well, the temple to Artemis in Ephesus was one of these seven wonders. They had, had built a, a temple to Artemis, this Greek god that, that caused the, the rest of the world to marvel at their, their religious um, observation. They were a very spiritual, a very religious people. Ephesus was also home to a, an economic engine. They had a thriving port on the Aegean Sea and a marketplace that some contemporary historians had said, this marketplace, this port, is one of the greatest in all of the region of Asia Minor. Theirs in Ephesus was a, a financially secure community. So they were very religious. They were financially secure. Um, other scholars had said that perhaps only Rome could marvel Ephesus in their, their cultural development, in their political power. as one of the, the largest in terms of population, one of the largest cities in the world. And Paul says, those of you who are in Ephesus, who are religious, financially secure, politically powerful, I found you and you were hopeless. You were hopeless without Jesus. Paul makes a, a difficult request of this early church in Ephesus, and by extension through his word to us. He begins verse 12 and says, Remember your hopelessness. Remember how I found you with your wealth and religion and culture and power. You had acceptance. You had possessions. Remember how the hope placed in these false gods fades away quickly. It says, remember where you were at. When I think of hopelessness, I don't think about an ancient city like Ephesus. Um, what I think about is a, an image that, that kind of comes up with some regularity as a parent. When I think about hopelessness, um, every time I see a child who's lost in the grocery store or at the park, 
That's what I think of when I think of hopelessness. For us, that has been at cross-country meets. That's been at soccer games. Don't lose your kids at the soccer complex. Do you know why? There are about 300 of the same size people in the same uniform. What For me, it's pretty much the same. I can't tell the difference between you know, Sam's jersey is gold and that team is yellow and that team, they all look the same. Don't lose your kid at the soccer field. Just, that's for free. That's not in my notes. Um, but when I see a child who's lost from family or I lose track of my own children, that's where I'm reminded of hopelessness. You know, you can look frantically around the soccer field and that's all that you can do. You, you look and, and you scan the crowd but there's a sense of fear, a sense of urgency, a sense of hopelessness, even if it's just for a few moments that you've lost your child. Um, I saw this play out this summer at the Kansas City Zoo. Uh, our family, I think it was, in, it, was, it was in Kansas City, right? So I couldn't remember if it was in Kansas City or if it was in Topeka. Part of why that, the Kansas City Zoo is huge. It's a, a lot of geography. And so we were in the zoo and we're uh, walking you know, by the animals. And here's what caught my eye. And I knew something was up. I saw a police officer, a Kansas City police officer in the golf cart, um, kind of driving along. And somehow I caught the, the look in his eye and knew that it was a little bit more serious than, you know, it, on the scale of seriousness, it's not that a tiger got out, but it, it wasn't a, a small thing, right? I, I caught his eye and it made me kind of stop as we were walking and turn around to see where he was going, see what, what he was pursuing. And I saw him pull up in the golf cart to a, a little boy, maybe four or five years old, and he's weeping. Um, he's lost family. And that sense of like hopelessness is what I'm reminded of when I think about what Paul says to the Ephesians, you were without Jesus and you were without hope. When I think about that kid at the zoo this summer, there's a, a thought that occurs to me. That hopeless child is no longer entertained by stuffed animals or ice cream that's for sale or even, you know, the, the monkeys or the tigers. That child realizes he's lost and is, is hopeless without rescue. When we realize the lostness the desperate lostness of our condition. I think we, in a moment, God allows us to see with clarity what really matters. It does not matter that we could place our hope in financial security. It doesn't matter that we could place our hope in our own religious good works. It doesn't matter that we could place our hope in acceptance or power. I think in that moment, God gives us clarity to know just how hopeless we are. And Paul says, remember that. Remember that hopelessness. Uh, for us this morning, I would ask, do we remember our own hopelessness? For those of you who follow Jesus this morning, do you remember hopelessness apart from Jesus? Sometimes that can be tricky. Some of you uh, came to follow Jesus at a young age. Uh, for some of you, it's easy because you came to follow Jesus at an older age, and you know and, and remember quickly what that hopeless feeling might feel like. Um, but I would, would ask you to, to think, I think Paul uh, gives us this instruction, to remember to think carefully 
about a time without Jesus. Perhaps it's a time of rebellion in your life. Maybe you had already decided to follow Jesus and there was a season where you, you moved away from him. For some of you, perhaps it's today. Uh, some of you are, are maybe even here this morning considering um, the hopelessness that's true in your life. Some of you perhaps know that there are um, false ways that you would pursue hope. Some of you have placed your hope in success. You've placed your hope in your goodness. Um, perhaps you would consider the uh, junk hope that the world seems to chase after. The, the world offers us a, a cheap form of hope, a glance at an alluring image that never brings joy, another purchase that never truly satisfied, um, extra hours stolen from family and given to work, but it doesn't actually bring lasting security. Paul says, remember your hopelessness. Remember cheap promises that you've believed in the past. And remember what Jesus does. If the first thought that Paul indicates in the text is, remember who you are without Jesus, isn't it a joy, uh, a relief that he quickly follows that up with another idea. He says that Jesus is the hope of salvation available to us all. I want to... Uh, this is, this is risky. I want to introduce this next point with a video, a, a powerful communicator named Grover. Now, you know there's a risk. How many of you are, like, I don't know, late 30s, mid 40s, and you remember the sweet spot of Sesame Street and Grover? For those of you who are too young or too old, I'm sorry, you've missed out. I learned a lot about life from people like Grover. Now, the risk of showing you a video about Grover is you are going to remember Grover saying near and far and forget why I even used him as an illustration. I understand that that's the, the risk that you run. I'll, I'll try to, to make the connection for you, though. Grover um, indicates something that, that Paul indicates in the text as well. Um, he lays out this idea of near and far. These new followers of Jesus had been far, right? This is what Paul indicates in verse 13. But uh, now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Ephesian Christians had been far away and they've been brought near. There's a, a parallel passage that I think communicates this idea well in Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57 verses 18 and 19 say this, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and to those who are near, says the Lord and I will heal them. The blood of Jesus, his sacrifice for sin, that alone is what breaks the power of sin and brings peace and healing both to those who are near and those who are far. Verse 14 says it this way, he himself is our peace. Jesus himself is where we find peace. Jesus himself is where we find healing. God 
has accomplished by the Son our peace and our healing. Now, part of why I think this is significant, I would illustrate this way. The separated, far away, when Paul is writing this, in about the the mid-60s A.D., those who were far away have become the majority. Um, Paul wrote Ephesians from prison sometime in the 60s, and at that time, the message of Jesus was, was spreading. The, the disciples and the, the first maybe uh, 100, 150 followers of Jesus had begun to share the message of the gospel. And from those few hundred, the, the growth of the church goes to a few thousand by the mid-60s. And Paul says, here's the way it will play out. The, those who are far away, the, the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish population, those who are far, now can come near because of Jesus. And here's why that matters. Here's why it makes so much difference. Do you know what happened between the year 100 A.D. and the year 300 A.D. in the life of the Christian church? It exploded. Uh, A few thousand followers of Jesus in the year 100 became millions by the 300 A.D. Um, Scientists, uh, sociologists, historians, they really don't have an answer for how the Christian church grew as quickly as it did, from thousands to millions. I think it's a miracle. Um, There are a few people who would write and say that some of the reason why that happened was the the conduct of the early Christians, that in times of of poverty, they, they shared their resources. In times of sickness, they cared for those who were weak. They were self-sacrificing, even to the point of, of giving up their lives as martyrs. Their behavior, their lifestyle changed the world, and, and it spread. It became a, a virus. It became something that, that took over the, the ancient Near East. And the minority became the majority. Do you know where most Christians are today? If you were going to pick a a region, a nation, a continent where the largest number of Christians would be located, don't say it out loud because some of you might know the answer. If you were going to pick a a continent and say, here is where the largest number of Christians today can be found, where would you pick? Do you know that the the far away have been the, the ones who have come near to Jesus today? Today, the largest number of Christians can be found in Africa and Latin America. In in 2018, this is the first year where Africa has overtaken Latin America in the the total number of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. In Africa today, 631 million people identify as Christian. In Latin America, it's 601 million. Compare that to here in North America where 277 million people identify as Christian. Those who were far have come near. Those who were far have become the majority. Um, I was talking to a a skeptical student this very week who said, I don't know, all of the Christians who I know, their parents were Christians. They just kind of grew up Christian. I said, do you know the average Christian is not someone who grew up following Jesus in a church here in Kansas, the average Christian is someone who has converted to Christianity 
in, in Africa or Latin America, perhaps Asia. Those who were far away have come close, who have come near, and that's the majority. The separated and the far away have come near to Jesus. I want us to think about our lives for a moment. Who are the people who we would think in our own hearts, in our own minds, are far away from Jesus? Today, we don't wrestle with the distinction between Jew and Gentile, but we can still struggle with the idea about who can come to Jesus. I want you to to take a moment and just kind of picture a person in your life, in your mind, a a person or maybe, maybe a group of people who you think are the least likely to come to Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment. Who's the person in your life who's least likely to come to Jesus? Some of you, in your mind, in your heart, have drawn a a line. In the first century, it's Jew and Gentile. Those who are near to me, who are like me, and those who are far, those who are not like me, who are different somehow. Those who are in and those who are out. Do you have a a person or a group in mind who can't be brought near by the blood of Jesus, as Paul describes it? Perhaps they have the wrong behavior, the wrong lifestyle, the wrong culture, the wrong priorities the wrong politics, perhaps they've just wronged you. It it can be easy for us to struggle with a desire to keep some people far from Jesus, away from Jesus. But you know that we cannot both celebrate our own hope in Jesus and keep certain people far away from him. We all have to know down to our core that Jesus has torn down the wall that separated each and every one of us from God with his body and his blood, and nothing can keep us from his love. For some of you this morning, your thoughts, your your life history have oriented you such that, that maybe God is in one space in your understanding, and you are far. And there is a a wall, there is a a separation that keeps you from coming to him. Even for you, nothing can keep you away from the love of Jesus. Jesus is the hope for the hopeless. Jesus brings a unity that cannot be found anywhere else. You know, I I am guessing that if you took out your phone right now and you tried to look up Ephesus on Google Maps, I don't think you'd be able to find it. It's tricky to find. Those in Ephesus who had placed their hope in the ancient Greek temple of Artemis, 
discovered that invading armies can burn down your temple. Those who had placed their hope in financial security, the thriving port and the marketplace. At some point, there was an earthquake and an erosion that filled up that harbor and made it useless. Now it's a few miles inland from, from the Aegean coast. You can't find Ephesus on the map because it's not significant anymore. And with a long view of history, um, it seems foolish that they would have placed their hope in religious um, spirituality or in commerce or in political power or in acceptance. But don't we do the same thing today? Our hope won't be in the long run found in our security or in our success but Jesus reminds us you are hopeless in that, and I am the way to provide you with hope. Jesus brings a unity that cannot be found anywhere else. Romans 15.13 has a, a form of benediction for us. Romans 15.13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray that for us. Father, you are our hope. Lord, you are our hope. And Father, we, uh, we want to take seriously your instruction to, to remember our hopelessness without you. And Father, this morning, as we gather together as a community, we want to remember that our hope is secure in you. You never fail us. Your spirit gives us a reason to hope for the future. Father, I pray that you would, um, in the working of your spirit, reveal to us the, the individual, the, the group of people that somehow are too far away for us to imagine them coming to you. Father, I pray that you would change our hearts, that we would be moved to pray, to, to, to intercede in prayer for those who are far away from you. Father, I pray that we would be changed and that we would be your agents in tearing down the wall of division. Remind us that the wall of division between us and them, between those who are near and far, that that work has been accomplished in the blood and body of your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a community that would hold on to hope in you and lift up this message of unity. Father, I pray that you would accomplish that through your spirit in our lives, even um, in the week ahead. Thank you, Father, for how you love us. Amen.